Good morning again and welcome to Lighthouse. As you can see, I'm not Frank Briggs. We said there's going to be a 50-50 chance. So uh, next week, he says 100% chance he's going to be here. So we're going to be excited for that. Can we get an amen? He will be here. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So this week, we continue our uh, two, now a two-part series on the God who still speaks. Um, I did some research this week and learned a lot about frequency, like the video just talked about. Frequency. I didn't know. Maybe you knew. This would be old hat to some of you. Um, the human ear can hear within a particular frequency range from 20 hertz up to 20,000 hertz. The, the male voice speaks about uh, at 100 hertz, and the female vo- voice is a little bit higher uh, pitch, and it's about 150 hertz. As you rise above the 20,000 hertz level, you get into what's called ultrasound. And it's amazing what all kinds of sounds go on there that we can't hear. Animals can hear these sounds. You know, you're used to blowing the dog whistle, and maybe you can't hear the dog whistle, but the dog can hear it because he's hearing at that ultrasound frequency, that higher uh, megahertz in that frequency. Um, uh, scientists and, and military and police can use ultrasound as crowd control because it can make us feel uneasy and, and disquieted and give us discomfort. It, it can even cause death at times to be that powerful. Um, animals communicate and hunt using ultrasound. Bats and, and dolphins find their food using ultrasound. We can uh, weld plastic together using this frequency. We can drill holes in steel. It's so powerful, this frequency. And yet, we can also look into the human body and an expectant mom can see an unborn child using an ultrasound, right? That's the sound above the 20,000 hertz level. When you drop below the 20,000 hertz level, you come into a whole other dynamic that we can't hear. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sound that still animals can hear. Um, elephants use it to communicate a lot. In fact, um, an elephant will use this lower frequency sound and, 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 in essence, blast the sound into the ground, and it'll travel hundreds of miles underground, and other elephants will, quote-unquote, hear this sound in their feet. They will sense the vibrations there, and and scientists uh, speculate that maybe that helps them with herd migration. It helps them find a mate, kind of like a you know a sound effect version of Match.com. You know, you, you can find your mate using that sound. Um, animals use this sound in lots of ways. They think that birds navigate using this sound. It, it occurs in nature, so the the winds going over a mountain range would be at this uh, frequency level. And so uh, birds may hear that sound and recognize it, and so they can navigate knowing where that sound is located, kind of you know, GPS-type system. It's used to uh, find submarines. Uh, scientists put uh, sensors out all over the world and can sense if an atomic bomb has gone off in another part of the world using this lower frequency Sound, But what I really kind of caught my attention and I thought was kind of amazing is that this lower frequency sound may be the cause of what uh, many speculate to be haunted houses and, and the sightings of ghosts. Some of this kind of grew out of a, of a scientist and his experience, Dr. Tandy over in Europe. He was in this lab that was supposedly haunted and he was working late at night. And he said this uh, feeling of 
a fear began to come over him. His heart began to race and his anxiety began to rise. He started sweating even though he was feeling cold. And out of the corner of his eye, he saw this, uh, this smoky-like figure over there. And when he turned to look, it, it, it was gone. You know, and, and it kind of gave him a little bit of spooks, but he's a scientist, so he's not going to give in to, to anything like hauntings and so forth. Well, the next morning, he happens to be in the lab early because, of all things, his hobby is uh, fencing, you know, sword fighting, and he's got to work on his foil, and he's got some tools there in the lab that he can do that with, so he puts the, the foil's handle in a vise, and he turns around to get something. When he turns back around, the sword is moving up and down. And he's like, what is going on? And so, but again, he's a scientist, so he begins to research it. He traces it down to a fan and a piece of equipment that is producing this low-frequency noise. And the wave of that sound can actually cause our eyeballs to vibrate at a certain level and cause us to see things and actually cause uh, feelings inside of us, even though we can't hear it. Feelings with inside of us rise because this sound is passing through us without us even realizing it. Scientists have done other experience, experiments where they put people in soundproof rooms and they play music with them. And some of the music, kind of randomly selected, has this low-frequency sound uh, within it. And what they have found that when they, they play the pieces of music with that low-frequency sound in it, the, the hearers will respond with feelings of awe or feelings of fear. And they don't hear what's going on, but they're responding to this low-frequency sound. Now, that was kind of neat. I'm a little bit of a geek, so I thought that was kind of fun to, to hear and learn all that stuff. Again, some of you may have already know and know far more than I do about any, any of that, because that's about all I know about that. But it occurs to me, um, none of us probably doubt that. We can accept that. Yeah, there's sounds out there we can't hear. Just ask your teenagers. They have those special, you know, ringtones that they can play that only they can hear. And us more mature people can't hear those because we lose some of that hearing level. We, we get that. We understand that. So if we can accept those sounds at these other frequency levels that are outside of our 20 to 20,000 hertz range, why do we, who are Christians especially, if you're not a Christian, I can understand why you wouldn't. But why are we, who are Christians, who worship the God that we say created all that, created the sounds, created the animals, created all those vibrations, did all that, why do we doubt that our God could communicate within a frequency range that we don't necessarily hear with our ears? That's absurd. Now, the Bible's filled. There are times the Bible's filled with stories that there are times that God speaks where we can hear an audible voice. But the vast majority of times in which the Bible talks about God speaking, what it's not clear about is exactly how he did it. Sometimes we see him speaking in dreams and visions. Sometimes it's speaking through donkeys and burning bushes. Sometimes it's, it's uh, just uh, feelings or, or uh, thoughts or our conscience that he's speaking through. God can speak through angels, Scripture tells us. God can speak in all kinds of ways, and yet we still struggle sometimes to believe that he really could do that, to speak outside of that frequency range that we can hear. So last week we began this series of the God who still speaks, and we looked at some passages and we talked about that the, the truth is God does not have a speaking problem. 
as this, once he gave us the Bible, he's kind of gone mute, you know. God doesn't have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem. And sometimes we make it too complicated to hear the voice of God. And what we need to do is just take some baby steps if we wrestle with it. Maybe spend some time, we said last week, for the next 40 days, just continually praying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then listen to the voice of God. Because we do not have, or God does not have a speaking problem. We have the hearing problem. This week, what we're going to see is that God still speaks, yes. And the reason He speaks, and the reason He may speak outside of our frequency zone, is because He wants us to lean in. He wants us to listen carefully because what he wants to communicate more than anything else to us is that he wants to have a relationship with us. And it's in those special communication times that he can share his love for us. So it's a little bit like my wife, Mimi. Um, you know, you, 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 if you've been married long, you have those communicate. You don't have to say a word, right? And you know what's being communicated. It's like that when I was growing up. You know, my mom had that look. The room could be filled, could be noisy, and I don't know. She would be looking at me, and I would sense it, and I would look over there, and I would know, stop whatever I'm doing because I'm going to get in trouble when I get home. It was that look, and she didn't have to say a word, and she communicated with me. Well, Mimi, my wife, can communicate with me like that. She can text me. She'll text me, what do you want for dinner tonight? Now, I know, I've been with her long enough, she's not asking me what, she want, what I want for dinner tonight. She could care less what I want for dinner tonight. What she's doing is she's telling me we're going out to eat tonight. That's what she's telling me. You know, and it's the, we got that, and you and your spouse have that too. We communicate at other than audible frequency levels. But we can only do that because we've become intimate. We've become close. We can read each other. And that's the relationship God wants with you. He wants to be so close with you that you don't have to hear an audible voice to know that God is speaking to you. And what he's speaking to you is that he loves you. So we're going to look at a single verse of Scripture today. There will be some other verses that we reference as well. But we're going to dive into a single verse of Scripture today where we're going to see that God speaks to us and that he speaks that he wants a relationship with us. And that passage of Scripture is, comes from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And I want to approach this Scripture through this painting that you're about to see. And this is a remake of a painting that was done by an artist named Holman Hunt. And we've talked about Holman Hunt in the past and some of his wondrous biblical art that he painted in the 1800s. This picture was painted in about 1853, or, or a version of it. This is a remake of it. And he says, Hunt says, he wasn't just inspired to paint this painting. He feels like he was commanded, he was spoken to by God to paint this painting. And it comes from a single Bible verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And here's that Bible verse. It says, Behold, or here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And he with me. 
an amazing verse. The context of this verse comes from, again, the book of Revelation, chapter 3. It's in the section where it's not the strange images that we read of a lot in Revelation. It's, it's the letters. There's seven letters that Jesus wrote to seven churches in Asia, and he's speaking to them to prepare them to hear what he's about to say through the rest of the book of Revelation. This comes from the letter to Laodicea, the final of the seven letters. And of all the churches that he wrote to, of all those letters, that letter could have been more than any of the others addressed not to Laodicea, but to Lighthouse Fellowship, to any church in America or the Western Western world, per se. Because you see, Laodiceans, they they were independent. They were secure. They were wealthy. They were educated. They were sophisticated. And they took pride in their independence. And really what Jesus is going to call them to task for is that, hey, you are trying to be so independent that you're independent from me and you're not listening to my voice. You're not depending on me. See, in AD 60, the city was uh, destroyed virtually by, um, by an earthquake. And just like would happen in our society today, the federal government intervened and said, hey, we will send you some federal funds. Rome was going to send them some money to rebuild the city. But they were so proud, and they knew that they were so resourceful and independent, they said, no, thank you. We don't want your federal money. We want to rebuild our own city. And they did. They were able to rebuild their own city because they were along a trade route, and they had manufacturing, and they exported textiles, and they even had a medical school there in the city. And one of the things that they were known for among the Uh, medicines that they exported. They were known particularly for an eye salve that they uh, exported that would help you see better. And and that's ironic because what Jesus says to them, if you could see me or see yourselves like I see you, what I would see is not a rich, independent, well-educated, sophisticated church and community. What I see, in the words that he uses are, I see someone pitiful and poor and blind and naked. What you need to do is repent, he says, because, see, they were so proud of their independence. And it's a little ironic because they didn't have a good, clean water supply there, so they had to build an aqueduct from some hot springs about five miles away and bring that water in. And even then, the water was filled with lots of mineral content, so it tasted terrible. And by the time it got to, the, uh, got to, the, to their town, it wasn't hot anymore. It was lukewarm. And it tasted terrible. And so he says, I wish you were cold or hot, but you're neither. I wish you were cold like cold, refreshing water. Or I wish you were hot like water that can be useful for something. But no, you're lukewarm. You taste bad. I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth, he says. He uses that kind of strong language with them. He says, you need to repent. What you don't understand is I'm standing at the door knocking. Will you hear my voice? Now, this passage gets used a whole lot uh, for evangelism. And, and it talks about, um, it, when we use it with evangelism, if you don't know Christ, if you don't have Christ in your heart, you need to know God's reaching out to you. He's, he's trying to connect with you because he wants a saving relationship with you. And, and that's a good use of the passage. It's just not exactly what Jesus was using it for. He was writing it to those of us in the church who should have Jesus in our heart already. But what we've done is we've become hard and we've hardened and we've shut the door to keep him out because we refuse to listen to him. So he says, I stand at the door and I knock. 
Won't you listen? Won't you pay attention? Won't you believe that I want to speak to you? You know, just this week, I had a package that was supposed to be delivered to my house. I was at home, and um, I didn't hear the doorbell. And so they left a note on the door and said, sorry, you weren't here. Um, We'll try again later. And so they tried again the next day, and I was at home, and I didn't hear the doorbell. And, you know, they left another sticker. Jesus is not going to give up on you. He is going to keep knocking on your door because he wants you to hear his voice. And that's what he says next. I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice, notice what he does not say. If anyone reads my book, I will come in and eat with him. No, he says, if you hear my voice. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible is powerful, and I think it is the primary way, overall, huge, the most significant way in which God speaks to us. And anytime we think that we hear God and we think God may be speaking to us, what we need to do is filter whatever we think God is saying to us through Scripture, because whatever He may say to us is never going to contradict Scripture. But Scripture is that filter in that foundation. But it's not the only way God speaks to us. Jesus did not say, he who reads my book will I have a relationship with. In fact, he's going to criticize some Pharisees while he's on earth. Some teachers of the law said, you search the scriptures all the time trying to find eternal life. And all they do is point to me, but you refuse to come to me. You need to hear my voice is what he's saying so that you can have eternal life. I love the way Robert Morris um, talks about hearing the voice of God. And he uses this illustration. You know, he's He's written uh, lots, lots of books. He, he's a speaker, author, all that, preacher. And, and he says, says, hearing the voice of God is, is one of these two scenarios. He says, suppose I have, know someone that's in the hospital, and I go up to the hospital, and at the reception desk, I ask, hey, can you tell me the room number that Johnny is in? And they tell you, well, room 200. Wonderful. Here, I'd like to leave these books for Johnny here at the desk. Would you make sure that he gets them? I just think they'll really bless his life. And then he turns around and leaves. That's one scenario. The other scenario is he goes to the hospital. Can you tell me the room Johnny's in? Well, Johnny's in 200. Well, so you go up the stairs, find room 200. You go to his room, and you spend the day with him. And you visit, and you talk, and you laugh, and you cry, and you pray. Which person, which scenario shows a relationship? Well, it's the one where you spend some time with them, interacting, relating with them. God's given us a wonderful book, and we can learn a lot of things about God. But what God wants is not for us to know about Him. God wants us to relate with Him, to have that connection with Him. If anyone hears my voice, and, he says, and opens the door. If you look at the picture real well, the painting, you notice there is no doorknob on the door. Because Jesus isn't going to force his way in. David Jones said something to me a couple of years ago. I don't even know, David, if you remember saying this. I don't even remember the context of it. But he said something that stuck with me for the last couple of years. He said, Jesus is a gentleman. He's never going to force himself upon you. He's going to stand and knock at the door. He's going to call out to you. But it's up to you to decide to listen and to respond. Will you Hear my voice. Will you open the door? Will you put yourself in a place where you can, can quiet the rest of the world and listen to what he's saying and invite him into your life? And the result of that is amazing when we're willing to do that. 
He says, and I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I will have a relationship with him. Now, this doesn't communicate as much in our culture as it did in their culture. In our culture, we'll, we'll eat with just about anybody. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. If it's a free meal involved, we're there, right? You know. But in that culture, it was kind of a, a big deal who you ate with. And to eat with someone, especially if you prepared a meal for them and served them, that was, that was intimacy, that was relationship, that was connection. And that's what Jesus is saying he wants with each one of us. So, so when um, a few years ago, um, Mimi and I were preaching at a church in Corpus Christi, and a new family moved into town. He was in the Navy. He had just gotten transferred there, and they started attending our church. And so uh, we invited them over for lunch one Sunday afternoon, and we invited a bunch of other people over to get to know them and make sure that they make some connections and, and all that kind of stuff. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? Because it's just going to be getting home from, from church. You know, we can't, you know, fix a roast or anything. What, what are we going to do? So let's fix spaghetti. That's easy. That's cheap. You know, we'll do that. We'll open some can of ragu or bottles of ragu, you know, throw some butter on bread. You know, we'll make just a simple, simple lunch. We didn't realize how hard it was to sp fix spaghetti, but apparently it's pretty hard. So there's all these people at our house, and we're, you know, got the pot of water boiling, and how much spaghetti do you fix per person? I don't know, but let's put some in there. Well, we better put some more in there just in case so we don't want to run out. So we put a bunch of spaghetti in the pot and begin to stir it, and the bread gets done, and everybody's hungry and all. And by the time we pull the spaghetti out of the pot of boiling water, it, it looked a little bit like, um, have you seen those pictures of those stalks, you know, that, that are all kind of clumped together? and they're, they're, they're you know, Well, it was, it was uh, soft like it's supposed to be on one end, but the clump was not crispy, but it was firm on, on the other end. You know, not, not a good thing, but, you know, it is what it is. And so, we, you know, we're like, we're sorry. And we kind of serve it and everybody. And it made it worse because everybody was so nice. You know, they just made it terrible. Oh, this is so wonderful. You know, great ragu. You know, I got to get the recipe from you. I don't know. But they were just being nice. So it made it worse. So I'm, you know, trying to talk, change the subject. And so John, John and Otiseli Lada, who had moved to Corpus, uh, part of the Navy. And John, so, so where, where were you stationed before you came to Corpus? Oh, well, I was stationed in Washington, D.C. Oh, wow, Washington. What, what did you do in Washington? Um, I was the White House chef. It's like, oh, you're kidding me. No. So you just like crawl under the table at that point, you know? It's just oh, of all the things he could have said. And sure enough, he was, I didn't know this, but the Navy is in charge of that kind of stuff for the president and the vice president and so forth and all. And so he cooked for the White House. He was, uh, he knew George and Laura Bush. He was there at 9-11. And I, and, I, and I asked, well, so what was that like? You know, that must have been amazing. And his wife, Otiseli, spoke up, and she said, it was terrifying. Said, said, I said, I was in the car. John was at the White House. He was working. I was in the car with the kids on the highway in Washington, and suddenly everything came to a stop to a standstill. I didn't know what was going on. I just thought it was a wreck. You know, I wouldn't listen to the radio. We were just singing kids' songs in the car and all that. And said, so finally, after a long while, um, I turned on the radio, and I begin to hear the reports. Something's not right. And, and I begin to panic. I try to call John, and I, I can't get through to him. 
And I, we can't go anywhere, and I'm stuck, and I'm hearing these reports. It's terrifying. Eventually, John calls me, and, and he says it's kind of, he says stuff like you would hear in a movie, but apparently that's what he said. He said, listen, I, I, I'm okay. I'm safe. You need to know that, but I can't tell you what's going on, um, but I'm going to be gone, for, and I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. I'm not sure where I'm going. I'm not going to be able to talk to you. Just get the kids and go to your mom's. Get out of town. And, and that was the end of the conversation. I'll, be, I'll talk to you soon. And so what he did, what John did, is he went with Dick Cheney and was part of the kind of underground government in those days. And he was in charge of feeding them and taking care of them. Talk about having this life experience together where, where you get to know somebody. John became John and Otticelli became such good friends with George and Laura Bush that when uh, Bush's tenure was over and he moved to Dallas and then John retired from the Air Force or to, retired from the Navy, um, the president called him and said, John, I need a personal assistant. Will you come to Dallas and be that for me? And so they moved him in next door to George and Laura Bush so that, you know, he could like hop the fence, you know, to go over, go to work. And I, don't, I don't think he hopped the fence. He probably got shot if he tried to hop the fence. But, you know, he had direct access. He, he, he knew them personally. Now, you and I, or most of you anyway, I, I know it's true for me, I can read about the president, I can watch him on TV, I can learn about him, but I'm never going to have that kind of intimacy that John and Otticelli have with George and Laura Bush. I never will, because they, they've eaten together. And that's the kind of relationship God wants with you. And it only comes when we spend time with him when we do life with Him, when we're there through our ups and downs with Him, when we're two-way communicating with Him. It's that kind of personal intimacy. Jesus had that with God. In fact, Jesus said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing. I only do what God tells me to do. You know, we, we, we sometimes think that, you know, yeah, Jesus was all God and He was all man, and, and so He's just like God in a body, and so He just kind of knew what was everything that was going to happen. But Scripture tells us that Jesus actually had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He had to learn from God, and that only came from spending time with God. And so there's this pattern that developed in Jesus' life that is a pattern that I think is laid out in Scripture for us to follow if we want to have that kind of connection and intimacy with Jesus. And so here's three verses from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, 5, and 6, three sections of Scripture that lay out this passage, or this pattern. Let's, let's look at this, and then we'll come back and talk about it. So Luke 4, when the sun was sitting, the people brought Jesus, all who had various kinds of sicknesses, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also because that is why I was sent. Luke chapter 5. This is just after he's healed some lepers and has told them, don't tell anybody, but they couldn't contain themselves, so they went and told a bunch of people. And so the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And then Luke chapter 6. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, 
whom he also designated as apostles. So here's three chapters in the gospel story telling us of Jesus's pattern. He's with people, and then he withdraws to be with God. He's doing his ministry, he's doing his job, and then he withdraws to be with God. He makes a big decision, the biggest decision perhaps of his entire ministry. Before he does that, he's withdrawn to be with God. Jesus was a busy guy, if you didn't get that. I mean, you look at that in the first chapter, in that first section of Luke chapter 4. That's the kind of stuff every preacher would die to have happen. People were hunting him down. Tell us more. Preach to us more. Do more. You know, they, that was exciting stuff. But Jesus said, after he spent some time with God, he says, you know what? I've been reminded of what my ministry is about, and I need to go other places and preach. I can't just hang out here with you. Sometimes you got to say no to the good in order to say yes to the best, if that's what Jesus is calling you to. And then in that last passage, before he makes that most important decision, he spends the night in prayer. Now, I don't think he was um, you know, quoting the Lord's Prayer overnight, reciting it a thousand times that night. I think he was dialoguing with God. He was hear, hearing what God said. Who should we pick, Father? Do you think Matthew's good? Okay, let's go with Matthew. And he's listening to what God has to say to him so that he makes the right decision. We're no different. We're busy. You know, you guys are parents. you got kids banging on your door, literally. You know, you try to get away from them. You go hide in the bathroom. Mama, mama, mama. What are you doing in there, mama, mama? You know, if you're a parent, you've had that experience. You know, you've got a boss breathing down your neck saying, you got to get this done, do more, do better, keep going. You know, you, you've got pressure going on all over. you got meetings at church. All this stuff happens. We're all busy. We're a little bit like the guy who had decided to be more spiritual, but he was super busy. So he'd gone on this retreat, and it was wonderful. He'd had that silent retreat. And out of that silent retreat, he had developed a relationship with a spiritual director, and he began to meet with her once a month. They would meet, talk about life. She would give him Bible verses to meditate on throughout the month, and then he'd come back, and they would talk about them. Well, this one month, he's super busy, all this stuff going on, so many people depending on him, needing him. His wife had planned some stuff for him. Church, there had been a special budget meeting, and so he was needed there. Work needed him to do a special presentation, and so he was needed there and in demand and all this, and he was feeling the pressure. So he went to his, his, his spiritual director meeting, and he says, listen, he kind of lied. He said, things are going so great. I just, I, I, there's nothing to talk about. Why don't you just give me my Bible verses and we'll go on and we'll meet next, next month because things are going so wonderful. And she said, well, why don't you tell me about why things are going so wonderful? And he said, well, I, you know, I mean, I'm busy. And then he begins to explain it all. And he said, just give me my Bible verses and, 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 and we'll meet next month. And she said, oh, you're too busy. You don't need any Bible verses to meditate. You wouldn't have time to meditate on them. You're too busy. No, no, give me my Bible verses. And he kind of began insistent. So she said, okay. She pulled out a piece of paper, and she wrote down a single verse, a single verse, and handed him the, path, the paper. And he said, just one, one verse? This time usually give me a lot more. Well, you're so busy. If you just focus on this one, it'll, it'll be okay. They'll give you enough for us to talk about next time. So he doesn't even know what that verse means. So he goes to his car. He opens his, uh, the Bible app on his phone, and he looks it up. And the verse reads, are you the Messiah, or should we expect someone else? <laughs> That's the way we live, isn't it? We live as if the entire world is dependent on us, and that if we took time out of our busy, hectic schedule to spend a little bit of time with God, then all the world would fall apart because we're that important. We're that independent. We don't need that time with God. We're that rich, that healthy. We've got it our act all together. We don't need to spend that time, right? We may not say that, but that's the way we live. 
And we use busyness as an excuse. Jesus, the busiest person who ever existed, doing the most important work that ever existed, regularly spent time with God to hear what God had to say to him. That's how you build a long-term, lasting, healthy relationship with a God who wants to speak to you. And do you know of all things that the Bible tells us that our God even sings over us? Take a look at this passage from Psalms here. It's a passage where um, they're going through, David's going through all kinds of struggles and difficulties, and he says about God, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. Now think about that picture. You and I, the child of God, crawling up into the lap of our Father in the rocking chair, and Him holding you. He's saying, tell me about your day. Tell me what's going on. What are you worried about? And as we tell him, he begins to sing over us, to love on us, to bless us. Do you know what it would be like to finally hear the voice of God? He's speaking all the time now, but there is going to come a time in which we are literally going to be in his presence face to face. And even then, he's going to sing over us as we sing praises to him. So maybe you've heard of this woman named Sarah. She's from Burleson. She's a wife and the mother of two kids, and she was born um, with genetic deafness. And all of her life, she just assumed she would be deaf, but science eventually caught up with her ailment, and they created the ocular implant. But... Each one of those hearing aids is $30,000, and she needed two. She couldn't afford it. There's no way. But her mother-in-law, of all people, cashed in her retirement savings to buy one, because that's all that they could afford. One hearing aid for a woman who had never heard a sound in her life. Watch what happens when she receives it. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. <laughs> Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Here, you can put it down for a second. Just get used to the sound. <laughs> what does it sound like? Do you want to press the tissue? <laughs> I don't want to hear myself cry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me? And you hear your voice? Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. Well, that's good. <laughs> My it's laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> Do you want to hear your husband say something? God wants to speak to you. And what he wants to say more than anything else is, I love you. You are my child. 
And he's longing, he's longing for us to hear. And right now, we may not be able to hear it within that little frequency range of our normal human earthly hearing. But even the deafest among us can experience Jesus knocking on the door and his voice calling out. And all he's asking is for you to open your heart, listen to his voice, and he will build that relationship with him. So would you stand now? And just prepare your hearts a little bit. We're going to sing a few verses and then we're going to come back and we're going to spend a little bit of time listening to the voice of God. But let this song begin to prepare our hearts to hear so that we can open the door and let Jesus speak to us. When you speak the fusion fades just a word and suddenly I'm not afraid cause you speak freedom reigns there is hope in every single word you say cause I don't want to miss one word you speak cause everything you say is lie to me while you stand there, just bear with me. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? And just, just breathe deeply for a moment. In and out. And as you breathe in, maybe you say to yourself, more of you, Jesus. And as you breathe out, say to yourself, less of me. And just for a moment, imagine yourself in your living room, your den, on your comfortable couch or your favorite chair, just sitting there, quietly breathing. mind as you sit there, just pray. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And just imagine Jesus coming and sitting right next to you. sitting close enough to you to touch you. And that's what he does. He reaches out and he puts his hand on your shoulder and he gives it a squeeze. And then of all things, he calls you by name. And you look up and you find yourself looking into his face. 
And he's smiling, a big, toothy grin. And he leans close to you and he whispers, I love you. I love you, he says. And I know it wells up within you. You want to say, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've said. You don't know what I've thought. And he says, yes, I do. I know all of that. And I love you. More than anything else, he says, I want you to know. I love you. Hear me when I say, I love you. And so we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. about to leave this place, this place of peace and tranquility, this place of the presence of God, but know wherever you go, you are in the presence of God. And no matter how busy you may think you are, you're never too busy to quiet your heart and pray, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Your life will be changed because of that relationship. So go Go boldly in the name of Jesus. Live the victorious life God has called you, the life that comes from living in his speak, in his presence and hearing him speak. Go and be blessed. <laughs>